0: Kevin Byford. Take care. Cheers.
1: Cheers. Thank you.
0: Pleasure. Quite the surroundings.
1: Quite the surroundings. (laughs) Bindings,
0: Bindings, ski boots, cross country ski boots. This is a
1: perfect setting. Hello and welcome to the Snowmass Extreme Podcast. I am your host, Jason Hartman but I'm better known as Tigger. El Tigre if you're speaking Spanish. This season I spoke with E. Smith Award winners about life in Snowmass Village.
0: When did you move to Snowmass and why? Moved to Snowmass in December of 1988. I had gone skiing in my last year in college. and never skied, I couldn't afford it. Lost a lot of girlfriends who went on ski trips to Italy. And I couldn't go, and they found new boyfriends on those trips. But anyway, um, yeah, last year at college, I was able to go. And the skiing was great. I do remember during that trip, some of the guys who'd skied before said, let's go try snowboarding. And I'm like, yeah, I'm just learning skiing. I think I'll stay on skis, but I'll come watch. And uh, yeah, they basically looked like a bunch of tuna that had just been thrown onto a deck of a ship and were just flopping around. And I was like that looks pretty stupid, like <laughs> how naive of me, but anyway, from that trip, I remember going outside one evening after a few glue vines and uh, just looking around and sort of taking it all in, and I was like, I would love to live somewhere like this, I've, uh, I grew up in sort of an industrial area, kind of the Pittsburgh of, of England, beautiful, yeah, <laughs> yeah, right. It actually is gorgeous outside of the area right where I lived. I just couldn't get to it. I didn't have a bike, car, whatever. Um so I had a uh sponsorship to come to the US that summer and coach soccer at a university college called Lafayette, Pennsylvania. And that contract was over mid-November. I went home for a month and I came back, got in a car, and I drove all the way to Denver. Denver I got a plane to Aspen. <laughs> a little backwards. Anyway, I arrived in Aspen, um, got a job at, at the old timber mill, which is now Venga Venga. And I worked there for a month, took every penny I made, went and bought brand new skis. And I'd borrowed skis and demoed a couple of times from Aspen Sports next door. Went skiing at Highlands and had a great day. remember that. And I came out and from the bathroom, my gear was gone. Yeah, brand new that day, all gone. So I was running around, couldn't find it. Anyway, for some reason, it a positive thing. I took my buddies out for dinner that night, the cantina. And I said, you know what, I'm gonna try snowboarding. I'd seen it when I was in Pennsylvania. I'd seen a video of it. It might've been the blizzard of Oz with a snowboarder in it. Mm-hmm. Don't think it was, maybe it was Craig Kelly. I remember just seeing like how cool it looked. I'm like, very different to what I saw in France a year earlier. So I went and bought a board the next day or demoed a board or something the next day, but I demoed it, I demoed it. And my first day I took a lesson, even back then. Jeff Grell was my instructor. Jeff's, yeah, he was a legend back then. He's still well known in the industry and a rough day for Jeff having me. Yeah, in the morning, I lost control going at the Fanny Hill lift line and took out three or four people at the ankles. That wasn't so good for him to ex- have to explain that. Uh, but by the afternoon, I was turning, and we were up over on Banzai. I was ahead of the rest of the class, and he, Jeff said, Hey, Kevin, just follow that skier in front of you. follow the way he goes. So I started following that skier around, and I'm following him. He goes up the bank on the left-hand side, makes a nice turn, and then he stops. Well, I was already going up, making my nice turn, but I wasn't able to stop. Right through the guy, sliced his bindings off his skis, and Jeff showed up to this mayhem. Yeah, that was an interesting first day. uh, That was it. I was off and running, man. Loved it. Absolutely loved it. I can't remember what board I had originally. not a Burton Safari, but something close to that. But it was great. There was only about 15 of us who snowboarded and um, Paul Brockman was out there, Gabe Eakins, if you know Gabe, or Ratboy we used to call him. I think Eddie Zane might have been around there, Brian Price and uh obviously Paul Taft, Jason Beavers, Hugh Burrows, Susan Sag. Um Oshko was over at Highlands at that time I think when I was at Snowmass originally, he hadn't made it over there. So, yeah, though my original days were hanging out with those guys. It was great. I do remember strapping some speakers to my arm once. I was kind of ahead of my time. I had a Walkman and I strapped these big old Sony speakers, big ones, you know, eight inches by three by five. And I mm-hmm. strapped them around with duct tape and I perforated the duct tape. And uh, we'd all ride around together all day long. Paul Brockman was laughing his head off.
1: Kev, how did you become an instructor, though?
0: Uh. So Third year, no, I've been 88. I started in 91. I think I met Eric. I met Eric Smith down in California, in San Diego, him and his sister at Moose McGilligood. He's right, right behind my house. I lived there and I met Eric and uh, I'd seen him around at the timber mill and we became friends and he was like, he just started teaching. I said, dude, why don't you try and be an instructor?" So I tried out, Jerry Berg hired me and Barry Wheeler and I worked over at, uh, at Buttermilk. It was great. Except for my first lesson, First, one of the first lessons, it was brutal on Panda Peak. It was so flat. You didn't know what edge was what. It was tough to teach on. And in one of my first lessons, this poor lady went down and broke both her wrists. Oh, no. And then found out she was pregnant. <laughs> no. Right at the same time. But, yeah. Still wasn't enough to, to you know, put me off. I also remember getting... Uh, I didn't duck a rope on tie hack. I went around the ropes because there was some powder around the ropes on lower tie hack. Uh I remember going around there and ducking and sliding under and getting a nice power line and getting the bottom and uh, patrol sitting there waiting for me. And uh, what do you think you're doing? I'm like, I'm riding powder. I Said, do you want in a closed area? I said, no, I didn't. Said, look, I was on a chair. I saw you. I said, I didn't duck a rope. Anyway, I no was going nowhere, so next thing you know, I'm hauled in before John's Milner, who was the uh, head of patrol. at Buttermuck up back then and pleaded my case. Luckily, John's is a lovely fella, and sort of only took my pass for maybe a week or two weeks, unless I was teaching. So I think I probably tried to teach so those two weeks. So that was my one year bottom up. Good times, yeah. I did enjoy Buttermuck up for, for one for one half season, and then I moved over to Snowmass the following season with. Eric Smith, Eric Bergstrom, myself. I'm sure I'm missing a bunch of other people from that time. Susan Sag was over there. Suzanne Gouda. Cruzan Suzanne looking Gouda. Yeah. It was that was great times. All you wanted to do was ride. Me and Eric roomed up at that point over at Mountain View. We got to share a room for a season. And then the rest of the house was shared with a ton of South Africans. I think that was a bit much for Eric, he's kind of a private guy, he didn't like, he liked the guys, he just didn't like sharing a house with like seven people. So we did it for one year and that was it. But as far as snowboarding, the fun of seeing it line up every morning was, uh, Barry would say, okay, if you want to work today, please take a step forward. And it would just be me, Eric, Eric Bergsman, Eric's friends, I can't quite remember his name, and we'd all take a step back. It was just every day. I don't know how many hours we didn't get that year. It was, uh, <laughs> yeah, it was fortunate. Derek Johnson was there, and Derek took all the lessons, which is good. It's fine by me to have him. But a lot, of, a lot of riding. I wish I could remember back to some of those, you know, 35 years of riding, it's hard to pick up on some of them.
1: Hello, listeners. Are you enjoying the Snowmass Extreme podcast? Would you like to hear more content just
0: like this? Subscribe to the Snowmass Extreme Podcast wherever you listen to podcasts and tell your friends. Because it's a big-ass mountain, and there are free refills for everyone.
1: Why did you stay in Snowmass?
0: Maybe I'm just a creature of habit. Maybe I was very satisfied with what I found. Snowmass is a big mountain. There is a lot of terrain to ride, a lot of opportunity. And at the time, Burnt Mountain was there. And I want to say it was undiscovered, but people weren't prepared to do the hike up. I could go ride a four mile powder run every day. And, it, and I loved it. It was low angle powder. It's not very dangerous. Nobody would be out there. Maybe, maybe like four or five tracks going all the way down. And we could go down at any time of the day Week after a storm, two weeks after a storm, and there was there was always fresh tracks. I don't think I could go anywhere else and get that. Several other people have mentioned epic runs
1: with you, guiding them on Burton Mountain. And I think there's a phrase or a saying that involves, if you didn't get lost in Burton Mountain with Kevin Byford, you weren't on the snowboard team or something like that.
0: Yeah. There's a difference between being lost and being stuck.
1: Mm.
0: I'd say I was never lost on Burnt Mountain. Myself and Michael Lafferty, who I used to call Mr. Snowmass, he was also an instructor friend of mine. Um, great rider from uh, Mississippi. Ended up being part owner of DE. We went back and forwards across Burnt Mountain. We knew that with the back of our hands. We bushwhacked everywhere and figured it all out across a couple of seasons. But yeah, there was definitely times, you know, based upon conditions, based upon the fact that maybe i'd missed the turn i wasn't exactly where i thought i would be and and also i'm gonna you know stand up for myself a lot of the time it's people's skills it didn't have the skills to to maintain you've got to be able to maintain momentum through that powder and low angle you know you put a hard turn in and there's a flat in front of you then you're stuck but yes there were times i went down de- devil's gut all the way because it would get me an extra 500 yards of pow, a fresh pow, and I knew at the end of that that we were hiking out. Yep, with Paul Brockman and Brian Price and Chris Brockman and Eddie Zinn and Kevin O'Neill. Kev, what are we doing here? I'm like, well, we just got to ride 500 yards of extra powder. Not everyone appreciates it, you know. Maybe I'm just a, you know, bit of a powder hound. You are. It's funny, uh, Josh Gantz led a clinic a couple of years ago, and uh, it was great. He said, hey, to the group, he says, if you were going to put a tattoo on you, what would it be? And everyone came up with these great sort of creative ideas. And I said, for me, you could just tramp stamp two big snowflakes on the bottom of my back, because I am just a whore when it comes to powder i'll do anything for it guilty as yeah and that was you know i just didn't i still do that's why i snowboard i love two things i love the feeling of a good turn high edge low edge and i just love riding powder through the trees the experience doesn't have to be the most in you know, challenging terrain in terms of steepness but just to be out there where nobody else is it's something special i like to spend a lot of time on burnt mountain i used to not as much nowadays as it to open But yeah, it was was a special place for me.
1: When I moved here in 2002, you were the head of snowboarding, or at least one of the coordinators. I know you've had a couple of roles. Uh, over the years, can you tell me about you being in charge of the snowboard team?
0: And so, yeah, I threw my hat in the ring, and I got chosen for the job of coordinator at Snowmass by uh, by Weems and Victor Gurden, and I loved it. I took it like a fish to water, you know, mainly because most of the people who who were working with me or under me were my friends, so I knew them. You know, I knew what made them tick. You know, I understood them. And so it was good. I, I, I forgot the name of a lovely, lovely lady. Oh, my God. She was a flight attendant. Good friend of Eric's. He'll come back to me. But she told me at the end of the first season, says, Kevin, I was really surprised. I didn't think you would have it in you. And Carol Elliott. Carol Elliott's sweetheart. Yeah. So that was kind of that, you get that feedback from people. And yeah, I, obviously, I enjoyed it. I could tell. The instructors enjoyed it. I was, had a talent for matching up the clients with the instructors without going totally off a priority list and kind of helping the rest of the guys, the pros, know that you know it's about the guest at the end of the day and I'm going to match them up with the way things are best. Sometimes it didn't always work well. Me and Stu Offrig almost got into it once. Almost came to blows, but that's as close as that ever happened.
1: What was that?
0: He just questioned... He questioned... Uh, he questioned uh, um, an assignment I'd given somebody and why hadn't he got it, you know, and I explained and he disagreed and and he called me out on something, he got a little, but anyway, Stu's a great guy. Did a couple of changes and did well and then uh, John Norton interviewed me for this position of director of snowboarding because we had nobody, you know, we we were starting to bring events in, we were doing parks and it was just, it was growing. I think Doug McKenzie said when I got hired, it was because I was the only respectful snowboarder that they knew. <laughs> little did they, know. Well, yeah, they did know. Little did they know. Yeah, I, you know, I enjoyed the the prestige of it for a year or two, but I just it wasn't for me. You know, meetings and budgets. Uh, I came from ski school. I was man. I was a man manager. That's what I did well. You know, I had some foresight and stuff. I had some good ideas. But it just wasn't the overall management material, I don't, I don't think, at that level. So I anyway, knew I resigned and went back to running the school because that position became vacant and uh, did that for like another 10 years, I think, until you came along. <laughs> right? I think maybe? Yes. Straight after me? Or, yes, or, yeah. I was straight after you. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, I loved it. Thank you, Kev. It's
1: always a pleasure. And for you listeners, if you've enjoyed Kevin's stories, you can listen to the second part of our talk in the next episode. Kevin Byford, Part 2. If you like this show, please share, rate, and review us on your podcast app. Our theme music is by Lonnie Betts and the Squeaky Sneaker Band. Until next time, stay healthy and be excellent to each other.
0: I remember being out on Burnt Mountain with Eric and I dropped the radio on the Gene, Gene Tiller Traverse. And luckily, Eric, being Eric, heard something, heard a squawk. He was just behind me, about 20 yards behind me. He said, hey, you got your radio? I'm like, yeah, yeah no, sugar. So we walked back and we heard it squawking. Yeah, that was going to be interesting, trying to like, oh, yeah, no, it's uh, I've lost it Oh where?" Um oh on a trail. Yeah, where's that trail? Burnt Mountain. Yeah. That was a fun job coordinating. I don't know how you know, I'm sure there's little you know, it was fun, like you could go home at lunch once in a while. Sometimes you could have the mic you could have your radio with you and, and your girlfriend with you as well. Yeah Yeah, which and Eric when Eric would coordinate when I was when I was on my days off, he'd sit down on his apartment deck at seven eleven to call again you yeah, live right Palisades yeah is it 711 think you would live there? yeah and he'd sit there in his tech chair with his, with Sarah with his with the, with the radio just getting raved just getting suntanned yeah yeah professionals